No, I'm not Ian Button. <laughs> I wanted to uh, uh, let you know that uh, last late last night we got a phone, uh, not a phone call, but an SMS, an email from uh, Ian and his wife. Uh, they're stranded in Narita, Japan. Um, they, uh, their flights have all been canceled uh, because of the heaviest snowstorm in 20 years in Japan. And so as the evening wore on, it started with 200 cancellations, and then it went to 700 cancellations. And uh, we don't know how high the number is now. But we want to pray before we start uh, to pray for them because they've had a very rugged tour of uh, of the area and uh, fulfilling ministry responsibilities. And I think they're pretty exhausted. And uh, early this morning, I got an SMS from them, and they said, uh, after two hours of sitting on the plane, they were finally told by the pilot their flight had been canceled. (laughs) And so they were pretty worn out. And so we're hopeful that they still be able to get in uh, tomorrow to do what uh, they have to do. But we want to pray for them. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the our brother Ian and his wife Sherry, and they have meant so much to the body of Christ here at Grace Baptist. And Lord, we love them and we care very deeply about them. And Father, we are saddened to hear that they will not be able to join us this morning, but Father, we lift them up to you. We pray, Father, that uh, their weary bodies uh, and will be able to cope with the stress and uh, all of the other things that come with uh, waiting uh, for the weather to clear so the flights can get out. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, draw very close to them at this time, give them a peace, give them a calm, perhaps even give them opportunities, Lord, to be a witness for you as they uh, go through this trial with so many other travelers. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was kidding this morning, <laughs> some, some people, and I said, you know, if I fall asleep during my own sermon, someone wake me up, okay? Because <laughs> it's, it's been a pretty uh, uh, packed few hours of late. So, uh, we're going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah chapter 6. And in your bulletin, you, we had to insert very quickly this morning, uh, early this morning, a new outline. So it's here in front of you. So you have it. Okay. And so uh, you can follow along. Now, let me share with you. You know, I, I grew up in the age, I was a, a young man. I was in uh, my, my university days. And there was something called the Vietnam War. Now, I know some of you weren't even born then, but uh, be that as it may, uh, this was a very horrific uh, conflict here in Asia and uh, involved the American soldiers and uh, the people of Vietnam. And so what happened is in the early days of the war, the American soldiers wore uh, dark green uniforms and the officers had bright gold insignias to show that they were lieutenants, captains, majors, colonels, and all this kind of stuff. And and so what happens is that the, against the green, it really showed up. You know these 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 emblems and the in the not uh, the non commissioned officers, sergeants, and all that. They had bright yellow stripes on their sleeves, and so they would go into battle wearing these uniforms. And so guess what? The enemy was trained. To shoot at officers first. They were trained. They were, they were told in basic training. Anybody who has a bright insignia, you shoot that guy first. And the reason for that was because they knew that without leadership, the enemy could be defeated much easier. Much easier. You see? 
And this strategy worked for a good long time until the Americans caught on to what was going on. And they changed the uniforms and they changed the insignias. And so they became almost dark. You couldn't even see them. And so this is, you know, this is what they did. But what happened is the damage was done in the early days. And so uh, the, uh, the, the American forces were suffering horrible casualties because of this very simple practice that was done. Uh, now, in today's spiritual warfare, uh, Satan and the enemy knows uh, that to remove a spiritual leader from the field is very important. If you're going to slow up a church, if you're going to slow up God's work, you go after the leader. If you can bring down the leader, that will surely take away from the work of God. And so he wants to do that. And so we see this clearly in the book of Nehemiah, especially in chapter 6. And so if you'll open your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time or have just returned after a break, uh, this week uh, we want to uh, return to the book of Nehemiah, and we're in chapter 6. And we understand that in the beginning, Nehemiah was chosen by God to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so when he finally got there, he faced one attack after another. It was not going to be a cakewalk. It was not just going to be something that, oh, we'll do it today and we'll have it done by tomorrow kind of thing. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. This was going to be a lot harder than that. And so externally, they faced all kinds of trouble. Like, for example, Nehemiah had to face mockery, scorn, and threats from the enemy outside the walls. But then later on in the in the chapters as we proceeded, we found out that internally Nehemiah had to face economic injustices among God's people inside the walls. And so, you know, this thing is just mounting up. You know, you get it from the outside, you get it from the inside. And Nehemiah is right in the center of this whole thing. How on earth is he going to be able to keep things together and get the job done for the Lord? Well, when you get to chapter 6, it's interesting. Because the enemy begins to change his tactics. He's not just attacking God's people from the outside and from the inside. Now he begins to attack the leader. He begins to attack the leader. And so this is exactly what he did. Nehemiah is personally targeted by the enemy. But he perseveres. He presses on. Uh, but And the enemy persisted. And so they weren't going to give up till the bitter end and beyond. Now, what does this uh, teach us? Many of us have been called by God to build a witness for uh, uh, for Jesus Christ in our homes, in our schools, our work, or our church. And we have to learn to expect and endure obstacles and opposition. You see? I mean, sometimes I'm truly amazed at how uh, naive a bit that God's people get because we think, well, God is on our side. Who's going to beat us? You know, that kind of thing. And so everything should just go smoothly. But what that really means is that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of obstacles, that's when God's grace and that's when God's power comes to the forefront. He gets us through those things. He doesn't remove those things. He gets us through those things. And so this is uh, the lesson that we need to learn. We must learn to overcome the schemes and strategies of Satan and his cohorts, as mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. We are locked in spiritual warfare, and all of us are targets, and some of us are more targets than others, (laughs) and especially the leaders. I've got to drill this into you, and we'll see why toward the end of the sermon. But we need to understand that we have to stay alert and aware. So, 
What are some of the tactics that the enemy uses when they attack the leaders, when he attacks uh, God's servants? All right? The first one is found in uh, verses 1 to 4. And the enemy tried to disarm Nehemiah with false hopes. With false hopes. Let's read that. If you follow along in your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Now, when it was reported to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set the doors in the gates, then Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Seraphim and in the lane of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm going to, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Now, as you begin to understand this, Sambalat and Geshem invited uh, Nehemiah to meet with them. Now, at first, the impression would be, maybe this is a peace summit. <laughs> the, the work is almost done. You know, hey, why not be friends? You know, let, let's, let's make the best of this situation. Okay? So, hey, let's, let's meet together. Let's have a cup of tea. Let's have a cup of, you know, this or that or the other. Let's throw in a few dim sums and other stuff. And let's all come together and be friends again. But Nehemiah knew the people, and he knew that the fact that they were there really to harm him in verse 2. Now, the word harm literally means to do evil to me, to do evil. Now, how did Nehemiah know that? It's not told to us in the scripture. Perhaps he understood through past interactions with these people. He saw how fierce they were. He saw how, uh, how, how contriving they were. He knew what they were. He knew they could not be trusted. We don't know. But somehow he knew that there was an evil uh, 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 intent behind this. Uh, perhaps Nehemiah would meet with an accident. <laughs> Maybe perhaps he would just conveniently fall ill. You know, who knows what was going to happen? But Nehemiah had this sense. And so Nehemiah diplomatically rejected their invitation. And he says, I'm doing a great work. I'm sorry, guys. I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. All right. He says, I've got to keep on keeping on. And so, but, but Nehemiah's enemies were persistent in verse four. It says that four times they asked him, but Nehemiah was consistent too. Four times he said no in exactly the same way. Now, there's a lesson for all of us to be learned here, okay? What's the lesson? The lesson is this. There, um, the lesson is this, especially for those in, in leadership responsibility. Be careful to not get your hopes up too high when your enemy offers to talk, okay? When you offers to talk. Somehow, there's just that... Uh, optimism there's that feeling that you know we ought to just take everything at face value and you know this is going to be a better day today than it was yesterday you know and and all of this kind of stuff but nehemiah shows you some wisdom he shows you some maturity and he says look i i know these guys i know these guys and while it sounds on the surface like it you know has a lot of possibilities for good things to happen he was not going to be disarmed he was not going to let his guard down just because they invited him to come and have a cup of tea, all right? And so we as leaders need to be careful about that. Stay focused on the mission. Finish the task. Finish the task. 
I think Nehemiah had this idea. I am this close. I'm going to finish it. What happens after that? I'll have plenty of time to have tea with you. <laughs> but now, for now, I've got to finish the task. I've got to get those doors up for the gates. And so the enemy tried to disarm Nehemiah by raising false hope so God's work would stop. So that's one of the techniques that is used. What's another one? Another one is found in verses 5 to 9. Now, the enemy tried to discredit Nehemiah with false accusations. If you look at starting with verse 5, it says, Then Sambalot sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time, but this time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are you rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king, according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us counsel together. What was happening here was that he was trying to discredit Nehemiah with false accusations. Nehemiah's enemy should win a prize for persistence and for their creativity. There's no end to the kind of creativity that comes against God's servant. There's no end to it. It's just, it's just amazing what will come up. This was the fifth try, and he sent an open letter. Now, why would you say an open letter? Why not just a message? Why not, you know, something like that? The scriptures is very clear that it was an open letter, meaning that it was a document that could be read by many people, not just for Nehemiah's eyes only, you see. And so it was something that was maybe published. Uh, it was something that was made available for other people to see and to stir up trouble. And so the, the, but it contained all kinds of falsehoods about God's people and God's servants. For example, in verse 6, it says, the Jews are going to rebel. The Jews are so happy they got a wall up now, they're going to rebel. You know, they're going to walk out on the, on the kingdom. And then he says, Nehemiah was going to be the king. He's going to self-appoint him as the king. And then he says, you know, I have no other choice but to report this to King Artaxerxes. You know? You get the drift of this letter? It is filled with all kinds of false accusations. Well, how did Nehemiah respond to that? Well, in verses 8 through 9, he tells us, first of all, he denies the charges in verse 8. Okay? And then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you're inventing them in your own mind. And then in verse 9, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So the next thing he did was he prayed. He prayed. And so Nehemiah, we know, is a man of prayer. That's what made him such a strong leader. He was also a man of action. But always, he prefaced his actions with his prayers, you see. There was a priority there. And so, in this case, he, he denied the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, ac- the obviously false accusations, and then he prayed to the Lord. Now, there's two lessons here I, I think we ought to draw from this. The first lesson is this. You must be ready to face false accusations and rumors, especially about your motives. Especially about your motives. Leaders are always vulnerable 
to accusations that they have impure motives. I don't care how good they are. You can pick the best president. You can pick the best premier. You can pick the, the, the best this, that, or the other. It doesn't matter. You're always going to be second-guessed about your motives. And because only God can look on the heart of a person, people say what they want to say, you see? You've got to be prepared for that. Don't be shocked by it. Accept it as part of the, the that comes with leadership and move on. And so he just simply denied them and he committed himself into the hands of the Lord. King David went through this and he said he had some wonderful words uh, for us to draw upon. If you look at Psalms chapter 31, Psalms chapter 31. David really had a way with words, and, 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 and look at verses, uh, Psalms chapter 31, verse 13 through 14. It says, For I have heard the slander of many, terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Now, I know that's hard. I know that's hard because you want to fight back. You know, you want to build a case. You want to, you want to somehow convince people that you are not the what they think or what you've been accused of. You're not guilty of what you've been accused of. But he just simply did that. And so remember, um, so remember to be, uh, re- be ready to face the false accusations, be ready to deny them, and then take comfort and remember and rejoice that there's a special reward for you. Look in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. Look at what God says. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it's not that we walk around with a persecution complex. It's not that. It's we rest in the subtle and quiet conviction. God knows and God will reward in due time. And that's how we, de- how leaders are to deal with false accusations that come up. The second lesson that we can learn is resist the temptation to be a tool in the enemy's hands by spreading false rumors and accusations. Where did that come from? Okay, it follows. It's natural. Where do false accusations go? They go out to the crowd. They go out to the masses. They go out to the people. How does it get out there? All right. They didn't have uh, they didn't have WhatsApp. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have all of these things. It had to go from person to person. You see. And so we can learn something about this is that resist that temptation to be a tool in the enemy's hands by spreading false rumors. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, starting with verse 30 to 31. Okay, 30 to 31. And it says in in verse starting with verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. You see, you can, (laughs) you and I have the ability to stop false rumors. How? 
By not repeating them. <laughs> by not repeating them. Okay? But somehow there's something tempting. There's something tempting about getting into a juicy rumor or a false accusation, you know? And then we're very creative too, so we like to put our spin on things, you know? And so before the accusation starts as this, by the time it gets down to the end of the room, it's something else, totally different, right? Have you ever played that game, you know, where they get you in a group and they say, you know, tell a story, and then the story at the end is so different than the story at the beginning, right? It's because we all like to add our own spin to this thing. And so false, false rumors ought to stop with us. Why? False rumors can really hurt honest people, Okay. I had this example one time, and, and, and I, it was given to me by my early church pastor. And he, he talked about, he recounted a story. And the story went like this. My pastor was a real evangelist. He really had a heart for the lost. He really had a lot, He really had a drive and a passion to make sure everybody heard the good news of the gospel and come to Christ and ha- be transformed in their lives and things like that. And so he, he worked hard at this, and he, he tried to do everything he did. And then one, one night in an evening service where there was, you know, mostly the, the inner group, he shared his heart, and it was almost brought to tears. And he comes up there, and he says, you know what happened? He said, I went to this home, and I was trying to share Christ with the parents of the kids who come to our church. And he said, you know what happened? One of the parents said, I heard this from one of the other parents about you. And it was completely false. But you know what happened? It completely shut down the witness for the Lord. You see? And so what starts out as a juicy story, what's out, what starts out as, as, as kind of a, quote, harmless account of, of a leader in the church ends up a whole family is lost to the Lord. You see? But we don't have that idea, right, when we get into it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It wasn't meant to be that. I was just trying to be funny. I was just trying to keep a conversation going. I was this. I was that. But it has terrible results, you see. And so please, please, please remember that false rumors and accusations can really hurt honest people. False rumors are hard to retract. Uh, hard room, uh, uh, false rumors are hard to retract. There's a parable, a modern parable about a, a, a person who went to his priest uh, and he had said some terrible things about his friend and he felt terribly guilty about this. And, and, and maybe in some respects he was justifying himself in front of the priest. And he was kind of telling the, the priest, you know, well, you know, there's always some truth in there and you know, so on and so forth. And so the priest was scratching his head and he was trying to figure out how he could drive home uh, the point of uh, the, the severity of what he had done. So he asked this person to get a bag of feathers, get a bag of feathers. And he says, I want you to go to every door, every, every, every doorstep in the communion. I want you to take a feather out of your bag and I want you to put it on the doorstep. Go to every one of them, okay? So this person goes off and he does it and he returned to the priest. This time, the priest told the person to take the bag and go back and pick up each feather. So, the guy took his bag. and said, okay, oh, and the priest told me to do it. I'll go do it. And he goes out to every house in the community, and he seeks to pick up all the feather that he left at each house. Well, guess what? The feathers were gone for one reason or another. Many of them had just been blown away. And so, the the, when, the, when the fellow came back to the priest and he said, I can't get them all. 
And the priest smiled and said, exactly. He said, what you put down cannot be easily collected or retracted. And that's why he was trying to drive home how, 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 how horrible false accusations can be, have damaging effects. And you may be sorry to pieces. You may be sorry to pieces. I didn't mean to say that. I, if I could take it all back, I would. You can't. You see? So don't start. Okay, don't start what you can't take back. All right. I mean, this is kind of, you know, human relations 101. But, you know, but nevertheless, I think as human beings, sometimes, especially in the Christian community, sometimes we get carried away and we often jump off in this direction. So how do we deal with then uh, accusations that we might hear? Well, how do you determine if they're true or false? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, there's a situation that came up. And uh, so there's uh, three very significant things that the scripture tells us to do when there's an accusation that is made. And so in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, uh, in verse 14, the accusation is given in 12 and 13. And there were some people being accused of something. And then verse 14 comes in. Then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. Okay? And so what he's trying to say to us is, look, check this thing out. You know? Don't just take it for granted that what's flying around is true. But check it out. You see? I come from America, the, 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 you know, the, the scandal box of the world, okay? I'm the, that's probably one of the few countries in the world where you can make a living by, by spreading false things, okay? But that's what they do. They sell billions of newspapers by putting out false you know, accusations about people. And so what happens is that many times when these accusations are finally investigated, they find out they're not true or they were just you know, slightly you know, change just a little bit in order to sell some newspapers. And so please, please, please investigate, search out, and inquire, which is what the Bible says. See if this is true. I suppose if I were to try to put this in a few short words, it would be investigate before you disseminate. Okay? Investigate before you disseminate. But you see, oftentimes, even God's people fall for this. We fall for this and we jump whole hog in this. So the second thing the enemy did that they tried to discredit Nehemiah with false accusations so that God's work would stop. Well, there's a third technique that they use. Okay, what is the third technique? It's found in verses 10 through 14. The enemy tried to draw Nehemiah into sin with false advice, with false advice. So back to Nehemiah chapter 6. And you look at verse 10. You look at verse 10 here. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delia, the son of uh, Nehepatabel, uh, who was confined at his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. Verse 11. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Verse 12, then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samlet had hired him. Verse 13, he was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin. 
so that they may have an evil report in order that they could uh, reproach me. And he says in verse 14, Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sabalot, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. Okay? So this piece of advice comes to uh, Nehemiah. And if you are living under the pressure that Nehemiah had, your first reaction would say, oh, that, that makes sense. You must know something I don't know. And you're telling me they're trying to kill me. So let's retreat into the temple and let's go into the inner chamber. And so they can't get me. Sounds like good advice, right? But then Nehemiah begins to think about this thing. And he says, this is not the right move. This is not the right action. He took seriously his position to lead and to protect the people. In verse 11, it says, if Nehemiah believed it, Nehemiah believed that if he showed cowardice, the people would not follow him. You know, if he went to go save his life, why not everybody else go in there to save their lives as well? You see, Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. I have to set the example. I have to set the example. Then he thought about it even more deeply. And what he came up with, this is really, this is really a violation of God's law. God's law was very clear that the inner chamber was only for the high priest and not for just anybody to go in there. And Nehemiah was not the high priest. He would have violated God's law and would have been discredited. And so when he sees this coming, he says, this isn't right. I'm being tempted to sin, to save my own life by this false advice. Well, what's there to be learned from this? Carefully and prayerfully weigh all the advice you get. Carefully and prayerfully weigh all the advice you get. And if the, if the advice calls for you to violate God's law, then you ought to avoid it. You ought to avoid it. It's a huge red flag. Okay? It's a huge red flag. Sometimes leaders who are under a lot of pressure, they're looking for a way out. They're looking for a way out. They're looking for a way to be delivered. And so oftentimes they get advice from different people. And on the surface, it looks good. But in their rush, in their, in their, their instinct to survive or whatever you want to call it, they don't look carefully enough. They don't ask themselves, what would God think about this if I did this? You see, but Nehemiah did. Nehemiah dared to do that. So the enemy tried, but they failed to draw Nehemiah into sin so that God's work would stop. You see? So all of these things that have been going on, this whole business of disarming with false hope, the, 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 the effort to discredit Nehemiah, the whole effort to, to draw him into sin, were all aimed at bringing Nehemiah down so the work of God would stop. You see? And so as God's people, we have to be aware, what's going on here? What's going on here? Let's not just be fooled into believing and seeing things as they, as they might first appear. There's one more. The enemy tried to de- deceive Nehemiah with a false sense of security and peace. This is found in 15 through 19. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month at Elu in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
Also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shekanah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoahanan, and married the daughter of Methuselah, the son of Berechiah. Now that's a mouthful, all right? That's a mouthful. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobias sent letters to frighten me. Okay? Notice here that there was an action that took place in verse 15. The walls were completed. And then in verse 16 it says, Wow, all the nations lost their confidence. They lost their confidence. It was like the wind had taken out of them. And you know, and I'm sure that if you saw the enemy walking around, you know, Jerusalem, you know, their heads are hanging, you know, know, stuff like that. And this would be reason for the Jews to rejoice, right? They would say, wow, hey, you know, we won, you know, and and all those kinds. There was a false sense of security and peace in this thing. But if you look more closely, look what happened. What happened was that the enemy didn't give up. He didn't stop. The task was done. The mission was completed, <laughs> but not for the enemy. They didn't. What they did was they continued to, to conspire. They continued to conspire. The nobles and Tobiah had exchanged letters. The nobles spoke well of Tobiah before Nehemiah. The nobles took Tobiah, uh, told Tobiah what Nehemiah said and did. They continued their relationship. They continued their relationship. The enemy continued to conspire. So what's the lesson here for us? When God's assignment is near done or completely done, it doesn't mean the opposition automatically stops opposing God. God, this does not stop automatically stop opposing God, God's people, God's work, or God's leaders. You got to be careful to keep up your guard, okay? Remember that what First Peter chapter five verse eight says: Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In fact, I would say to you that in fact, a whole when a work is done, a whole new set of problems will start surfacing. All kinds of issues will start surfacing. The building or the project or the mission that God gives you when it's completed doesn't mean the enemy stops. They just change their colors. They just change their tactics a little bit. They change just a little bit, but they're still coming after you. And you have to be aware of that. Okay? So the enemy tried to deceive Nehemiah with a false sense of security. So God's work could not be enjoyed. So God's work could not be enjoyed. Now, here's a big application here. And this concerns our leaders, concerns our leaders, okay? Now, you might say to yourself, there's a conflict of interest here because you're a leader, okay? I don't care. It's God's word. It needs to be said, okay? So for just a minute, just take me as Brother Arnold, okay? Not Pastor Arnold, not this, that, or the other. I'm just speaking to you as one brother to the next. What do we need to do? Our leaders... Are, have targets drawn on them by Satan and by the opposition. Okay, you, you may not see it, you may not feel it. You don't, you don't see our our elders, or you don't see our leaders up here, our Sunday school teachers, and and so on and so forth. You don't see them up here crying in front of you and stuff like that. Although probably some of us want to, 
But we have a target drawn on us. And Satan is coming after us. And so we need to remember that. When, it's never easy whenever you stand for the message of Christ on the cross. When you stand for the gospel, in which case that empowers and enables true transformation of people's lives. The enemy isn't going to sit back and just say, oh, by all means, please do this. He's not going to do it. Oh, let me help you. He's not going to do that. He's going to fight you every step of the way. And if he can bring down one leader, if he can bring down two leaders, if he can, all the leaders, he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to cause irreparable damage. So what can we do? Care about your leaders. Care about your leaders. All right? Care about them. If you see them walking around and they look kind of glum and they look kind of worn out and they look all kind of sickly, go up to them. Are you okay? Are you all right? Here, here's my list of 45 other things you got to do for the church. No, no, don't, don't do that, you know. Just, just go up to them. Show them some loving care. Pray for your leaders. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay, because it's too convicting. But how many of you really take time to pray for your leaders at least once a week? Okay, that's too hard. No, that's not hard enough. How about at least once a day? Okay, that's too, then maybe maybe that's not good enough. How about at least on Sunday? You see? How do we pray for our leaders? How do we pray for our leaders? Number two, submit to your leaders. This is in Hebrews. Submit to those who have, who, who have watch over you. They watch over your souls. Okay? Submit to them. Now, that doesn't, submit doesn't mean, okay, whatever you want, you know, this kind of thing. What it does mean is you work with them in a kindly and loving fashion to get God's work together. Okay? doesn't mean you stand up there and you, you point your finger in their nose and your finger gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, you, and you tell them off. You tell them that this is not right. This is not good. This, no. Work with them. Come alongside. Offer. Say, hey, 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 can I make a suggestion here? Hey, hey, have you thought about this or something like that? What do you think? You know, work with them. That's what submitting works to them. But it means that you understand that when the final decision has to be made and they have to make some tough calls, let them make it. Let them make it and proceed. Encourage your leaders. Encourage your leaders. And you can do this in many different ways. Uh, hold a reunion dinner for them. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've had too many of those, so <laughs> I'm okay. I'm fine. But, you know, really encourage your leaders, you know, and tell them that you appreciate all the hours they're putting in. Uh, some, some people have just been very callous, and they have, you know, they, they, have their, they don't understand how many hours and how many discussions and how many meetings upon meetings they have had to get this far in the building program. They just don't understand how hard it is, you know? And so everybody says, how come it's not done? How come it's not done? You know, come on. Encourage your Lisa. I know you're doing the best you can, and you can count on me to be praying for you and be supportive of you, Okay. It's interesting that several words were used several times. Very dangerous words. The first word is found in verse 2. Harm. Harm. Could have been, phys- could have been physical harm. 
And then three times the word uh, frighten is used in some form. Verse 9, verse 13, and verse 19. If you want to pray for your leaders, pray that no evil harms them. All right? Number two, pray that they will not be frightened by the, the schemes of the enemy. Okay? So, what have I done here? What have I tried to paint for you? I tried to paint a picture for you. We see how Nehemiah has, gone, has been attacked. We see how he's handled it. I'm begging the church to also care in the same way for their leaders and not take them for granted. Not take them for granted. God's people, especially God's leaders, must be ready to overcome obstacles and opposition. They must be aware of the different kinds of attacks that may come at them. False hopes, false accusations, false advice, and false sense of security. We need to press on. Perhaps the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, are most suitable here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can we say that? Can we say that? Can we live that with our leaders? I hope we can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's so much richness in your word. We've only been able to scratch the surface, but nevertheless, it is your word. May you take certain parts of it or all of it and apply it to our hearts. That, Father, we can be the people of God, helping the servants of God the best we can. Oh, Father, Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.